Sadly, we know that we have lost Oklahomans to, to this virus, and we know and can anticipate that this will continue to happen. What's going to change the game and keep things moving in the right direction at this point is really individual action. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, um, but I'm just here to tell Oklahomans we are going to get through this. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast bringing you the latest info and insight into how the coronavirus is impacting our state. Through interviews and conversations, this podcast is about context and clarity during this challenging time. Today is Tuesday, April 7th. On today's episode, the Frontier's Cassie McClung and I discuss new data on testing at private labs, which gives a better picture of how many Oklahomans have been tested for COVID-19. But first, here's a review of the latest coronavirus news. On Monday, the State Department of Health reported 75 new cases of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, bringing the total to 1,327. There are now 340 Oklahomans in the hospital due to the coronavirus, and statewide deaths increased by 5 to 51. The state also recorded its youngest death, an Oklahoma County man between the ages of 18 and 35. Also on Monday, public schools across the state launched new distance learning programs as school buildings will remain closed for the remainder of the academic year. These distance learning plans must be in place until May, when schools will have the chance to end the year early. The Oklahoma City Public Schools Board voted last month to make May 8th its final day of the school year, moving it up by two weeks. Also, a federal judge on Monday partially and temporarily blocked Oklahoma's ban on most abortions during the COVID-19 pandemic, saying the state had acted in an unresponsible and oppressive way by restricting abortion access. The Frontier's Cassie McClung reports that the ruling came just a week after abortion providers and advocates filed a lawsuit against top state officials, challenging Governor Kevin Stitt's order that placed a moratorium on most abortions in the state. Federal Judge Charles Goodwin granted the abortion provider's motion, in part, seeking a temporary restraining order on the ban, which was set to expire on April 30th. All right, Cassie, how's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Did you have a good weekend? I did. Um, I keep forgetting it's Monday, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest. I keep losing track of um, the days, but it's it was a good weekend. How was your weekend? Uh, not bad. Yeah, so we record these on Monday, so people will be listening to it on Tuesday. That's why we're masking about the weekend. Yeah, I got I got in some got in some rest, and uh, I, I'm putting a raised bed garden in my backyard. I've got these like three oh. big raised bed gardens that I've, I've put together, and I've bought a bunch of dirt and manure and I'm going to try to see uh see if I can figure that out so very cool that's it's a perfect time with all this social distancing to you know start up a new project so exactly and if the world's going to hell I might as well figure out how to grow my own food and right if I can take care of my family that way well um one thing we did learn over the weekend that you wrote about Sunday evening was mm-hmm. we finally got a picture of how many tests are being conducted by, by private labs. So there is the, the number that the state reports every day is the total mm-hmm. number of positives. Now that includes 
those coming from private labs and coming from the state labs. But what we did not know was the number of negatives from these private labs. So we really didn't have a clear picture on exactly how many Oklahomans were being tested. And this is relevant for a few reasons, but also, but one being that the state was beginning to receive a lot of negative attention from some national outlets for mm-hmm. being dead last in the nation in its testing rate. So what did, what did we learn on Sunday? Right. So like you said, um, Sunday, the health department shared data on how many negative results private labs had gotten back from tests. And those results went all the way back to February. So over the last week, a lot of people have been, especially over the last week, I guess I should say, a lot of people have been asking about how many people have been tested in the state. And that helps give the state a clearer picture on how many people have been tested, obviously, but also how the virus is spreading. Mm-hmm. And um, Commissioner of Health Gary Cox sent a letter to private labs last week, you know, kind of trying to push them to submit this data. Um, so a health department spokeswoman, before I get into it, um, said some of that data came in over the weekend, and I think they have about 70% of it now. Um, I expect they'll probably be releasing more of it soon. So there have been more than 6,000 negative test results from these private labs. And when you combine those numbers with the states, as well as all the positive results, we now know Oklahoma has completed more than 8,600 tests. So 8,600. And that's a big jump from um, over last week when we thought the state had only completed about 1,200. Yeah. And, and I, and I assume this information is going to be out when people are listening to this, but I was hearing today that even more private lab numbers were going to come out uh, late Monday, which was going to put the total over 11,000. So your original story on Sunday with that 6,000 number talked about mm-hmm. how it's better, a lot better than we thought than, than what was being reported, but still behind a lot of other states, especially in the, in the region. But, you know, if we are getting over 11,000, then maybe we are starting to get a little bit, at least on par with Kansas and, and catching up yeah. with the three other states. Right. So we are on par, actually a little bit ahead of Kansas now, because I think Kansas and part of the problem with all these national uh, data rankings we've been seeing lately is not all states report their data the same. So I kind of almost, you know, am worried to make these comparisons. But if we do, you know, we are looking at these national comparisons, um, we can see that Missouri has tested more than 27,000 and New Mexico has almost 17,000. So 11,000 does put the state up to par, or I I don't know, up to par is the right word, but closer to its neighbors, but uh, still a little bit behind. Yeah. And you know, I that you you mentioned this in your story. It was the political story from last week that really put a focus on states that were really behind, and mm-hmm. they reported Oklahoma as being dead last. Now, on one hand, that's you know that's not hard to believe, right? If somebody told you Oklahoma was dead last in a in a health related metric, I think you know, yes, we, a lot of, not a lot of us would would push back on that too hard. Mm-hmm. But they were reporting that Oklahoma's rate was forty three um, tests out of a uh, hundred thousand people. And I think what's interesting with the new data that's coming out is just my quick back of the napkin math would show mm-hmm. that that's actually getting closer to 300 now um, wow. out of 100,000. So not like, like I said, still behind some other states, depending on how you kind of look at it. But the state is further, further along than has been reported. And I think one of the main questions that I've had is that the, the State Department of Health has said that they have this 
increased capacity to test that they have you mm-hmm. know tens you know over 10,000 tests available at OSU and at the Department of Health lab but they're not seeing that many tests uh, they have more capacity than they are seeing for demand so at the very okay. least it we aren't seeing we haven't seen more tests not because there aren't enough tests to give. I mean, like, at least that's at the point we were. We were early. We were on early days mm-hmm. when the federal government was kind of dictating who was getting these testing kits. But the state is now utilizing uh, testing kits from private labs that they've ordered. And we can test more people than we're testing. So whatever the reason right. is for us not testing, it is not a capacity issue. Right. And I know you're um, working on a story about this, you know, not maybe not this specifically, but kind of testing and how it's evolved in the state in general. Is that something that's come up so far in your reporting? Yeah. And like I said, it's I think the narrative early on when you when you go, let's go back to like uh, early March when Oklahoma got mm-hmm. its first case, I believe it was March 6th. And when we got our first case, there were 300 cases nationwide. That seems unbelievable that that was just, right. you know, less, you know, a month ago. But it and was those. early on and we were starting to see these kind of hot spots emerge. And, you know, Oklahoma was really kind of uh, behind a lot of other states in, in its own growth. And so it wasn't getting the priority of these testing kits that were really being doled out by, by the federal government. And, and one of the things that my story, which I'm hoping to have out on Tuesday, shows mm-hmm. is kind of the work behind the scenes here in Oklahoma, that if we weren't going to be able to get the testing kits from the feds, that we needed to go elsewhere. And so, for example, Oklahoma State University, its lab was using Thermo Fisher machines and Mm -hmm. the state was able to order 10,000 of the testing kits from Thermo Fisher, um, able to get those ordered and, uh, and get them released almost after, right after the FDA gave their final approval for these kits. And so the state has been able to ramp up its testing ability. And we talked about this last week, Governor Stitt has urged people to get tested. If you have symptoms, if you have fever, Mm -hmm. if you have, you know, trouble breathing that you need to get tested. And if you come in contact with someone, who has a known case of COVID-19, you need to get tested. So the message from the state is we got the test, let's test them. There are now more than 70 mobile mm-hmm. testing sites across the state, um, which is wow. where, you know, if you're getting tested at one of these mobile testing sites or at a county health lab, um, those tests are free and those are the tests that the state is doing. But still the bulk of the tests are being done by private labs. And so this would be if you go to All your right. doctor and they give you the test, they send it off to the lab and they get those results back. Okay. Yeah. See, that's interesting. I wonder where the disconnect is there. Cause you know, if we do have 70 saddle, you know, mobile testing sites and then these private labs running tests, I'm just curious, you know, why the state isn't seeing a huge uptick in the number of people being tested, you know, are people just not aware they can get tested? Are doctors not aware they should be testing more people? It's just interesting to me to kind of trying to figure out where that bottleneck or disconnect is, I guess. Yeah, no, I have those same questions. And, you know, some of this is just kind of theorizing a little bit. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, I was actually talking about this concept with my wife today. and We were saying, you know, if we got some symptoms, would we immediately want to go get tested? I mean, it kind of depends, I guess, on how severe it was. But if I had a slight right. fever, I might just try self-isolating it at home. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because I've seen those depictions of how far they shoved those swabs back your nose, and I don't want right. to do that. <laughs> or if I'm if I'm still kind of under the mindset that I don't want to like waste, you know, resources during a time where we're hearing that resources are um, in in short supply, it, it could be that we don't have as many 
positive. I know we know we have more positive cases than we've confirmed, mm -hmm. but maybe we don't have a huge number quite yet. Or I, I guess it could be all sorts of reasons. But the reality is today yeah. we can test more Oklahomans than we are. Right. And it's, it is hard to speculate about that. But, you know, another interesting part of that is so many people don't have symptoms yeah. when they have COVID-19. So, you know, there could be people walking around who have it and are transmitting it, but don't realize it. So, you know, it's not going to be probably on the top of their list to go get tested. And I don't even think they could if they weren't showing symptoms anyways. So that's something to keep in mind, maybe. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, one of the things that I've, I've learned in, in recent days is, you know, the OSU lab, the Department of Health lab are up and running. University of Oklahoma has a lab that is supposed to come online sometime this week or maybe next week. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they're working on, they have machines that can do the test to determine if you've ever had it. And OU is kind of right. trying to position itself to maybe be the lab that can use these, uh, these Abbott machines that the state mm -hmm. has gotten 15 of. Um, now we only have 100 kits to go through the machines and the, and the Trump administration is kind of dictating a little bit of where these go. But um, I've heard that the University of Oklahoma is trying to kind of come up with its own kit essentially that can run through these machines so that at some point in the future, we may be able to do mass testing to figure out if people have had it. And then we can kind of, if the theory is proven that you develop an immunity after you've had it, then that will be an important mm -hmm. piece of data for us to know um, moving forward. Right. Or I guess even to develop, um, you know, ways to try to fight off the virus if people have built some kind of immunity to it. That's really interesting. Um, I guess any word on when, I guess you just said later this week, um, as far as the Abbott machines go, but yeah, I know, I yeah, believe OU has some Thermo Fisher machines that they're, mm -hmm. that they may be able to get online here in another week or two, but that a lot of their focus is also on these other machines to be able to, um, do these kind of antibody tests that can, that can show you if you've had it, Now they're not as useful for early stage detection. I think you've, you've had to have the virus for about 10 days before these machines register, but like okay. I said, they, they come into play more when you're trying to test people to see if they've had the disease the virus in the past. And that's going to become important. I think mm -hmm. once we, we kind of get down the road to where we feel like we want to start reopening businesses and, and, and kind of take the reins off of social distancing. I, you know, I don't think we're going to just snap our fingers and be like, all right, everything's back open, go out. I think we're going to, it's going to be important for us to know, you know, who's had it, if, especially if we do right. determine that there is an immunity with that. Right. And you mentioned um, the Trump administration was kind of picking and choosing where these, uh, I guess, machines can go. And I saw that Florida also has that. How did Oklahoma get picked? I mean, is everyone getting, were they the Abbott? Well, um, so part of my story is coming out is going to be focused on two kind of key players. And mm -hmm. we've actually talked to these key players last week on one of the episodes, um, Dr. Casey Shrum and yes. Elizabeth Pollard. Um, Pollard is an interesting figure in all this. She is the Deputy Secretary of Science and Innovation. She has been uh, working in the field of genetic testing for 25 years. She lives in Edmond, but she actually spends part of her time in Silicon Valley building an infection control okay. company. Um, she has a lot of contacts in this field. And so sure. when the state was looking to ramp up its testing, um, she was one of the first people that Dr. Trump called and 
And Elizabeth was able to quickly figure out, hey, we've got the Thermo Fisher machines at OSU. I know people at Thermo Fisher. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of the game and try to place these orders, even maybe slightly before the FDA gave approval. And so it's my understanding that those contacts are really coming in handy as she, you know, contacts these different companies. So, but like I said about the Abbott lab machines, we've, mm -hmm. we've received 15, but only a hundred tests actually run through it. So okay. it's, it's getting us ahead in some ways, but we're still behind. And, and I think, you know, in some ways, Oklahoma is, you know, we're not, you know, we're not the most populous state. We don't have the, you know, our, our cities are, are not in the top 20 in terms of population size. Right. And we're not a hot spot in the sense that New York and California are. So we're, we're getting overlooked and probably understandably so. And I think that's mm -hmm. probably why state officials will tell you it's even more important that they are, you know, on the front lines trying to compete for these, these testing machines and, and these testing kits. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm looking forward to that story. That's really interesting. I know, you know, testing has been such a huge topic in Oklahoma over the last month. So I feel like, you know, getting the inside look at some of those processes is really interesting, especially since other states have, you know, struggled just as much as Oklahoma, I think, to get some of those resources. Yeah. You know, one big question I had was if if the state only accounts right now for a fourth or maybe even a fifth of all the tests being done, that the majority of Oklahomans are getting their tests done through private labs, then what mm -hmm. is the importance of the state? Like, why do we need to be thinking about the capacity of state testing? And there's a couple right. reasons. One is for better data. Um, mm -hmm. Up until recently, like we just talked about, we did not have complete data from these private labs. Um, but two is turnaround. The state is saying that they can get these tests done, turned around in about a day. And the rate reported from these private labs shows a 24 to 48 hour turnaround, but that's okay. from when they receive the test. And a lot of these labs are out of the state, um, you know, sent to places mm -hmm. like Dallas and Seattle. So you have to take into account the time to send them there and send them back. And when you take that into account, you're sometimes looking at two, three, four, five days of a turnaround. So state officials say it's also important that we have the capacity because we can get these turned around in, uh, in a much quicker fashion. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see, though, kind of where, you know, now that we have testing, it's getting under control, kind of where our attention is going to be turned to next. Because I've been hearing a lot about, you know, people taking metrics from, I guess, hospitalizations. So I guess I'm just curious to see, you know, we've been talking about modeling and testing all that kind of how this is all going to come together to give us hopefully a clearer picture of where this virus is going. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, I just, I was looking, I'm actually kind of looking through my notes here for my story and just, you know, talk about how far we've come looking back in mm -hmm. early March when the, when we all remember when the thunder and Utah jazz game was called off and we tested about 50 members of the Utah jazz organization. Mm -hmm. And that was such a big deal because at the time we only had about a hundred or so tests um, right. And so I think maybe that being how we got started on all this, there's still the perception that we just don't have those tests available, but uh, mm -hmm. um, they have they have significantly ramped up. And so it'll be interesting to see if with this larger capacity, if we see increased demand. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm definitely interested to see if people are going to take advantage of that and try to go out and get tested. So 
I really want to see scientists figure out how to do this test other than that nasal swab. <laughs> that, I do too. <laughs> I cannot watch that thing without <laughs> having an intense reaction. It's just my eyes water. Yeah. And I, I watched a video of somebody getting it done, figuring like, okay, mm -hmm. they're going to get it done and say, it's not that big of a deal. But they were like crying at the end of it and saying, oh my gosh, it was yeah. like snorting a bunch of, you know, spices. I just, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we need to figure that out. Right. Yeah. It's not ideal. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I mean, none of it's ideal, but no one wants, you know, a cotton swab that far up their nose. I didn't even know you could go that far back. I didn't either. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, other big news on Monday, um, was the challenge to governor Stitt's ban on abortion. We had a, a not a final ruling, but a temporary mm -hmm. ruling. What, uh, you reported on this on Monday. What what happened? Right. So I'll kind of give you a quick rundown. And then if anyone wants to get really in-depth, uh, they can head over to readfrontier.org because that story is online. But um, so a federal judge today, for the most part, granted abortion providers motion to issue a temporary restraining order on Governor Stitt's order that suspended most abortions in the state. So last week, abortion providers sued the state, saying that Governor Stitt's order effectively you know, just cut off abortion care in the state. And um, I guess just for a little background on Stitt's order. So late March, the governor issued an order putting a hold on non-essential and elective procedures. And that order didn't really come with a detailed list of what those procedures were. So he later clarified that abortions were also included with the exception of emergencies. And then, you know, a few days later, uh, the state saw that lawsuit. So kind of what the uh, judge's order does today is it sided with the abortion providers for the most part. And the judge said that the governor's order was unreasonable and how much it restricted abortion access in the state. So the state can't ban medication abortions for now, which uh, those involve a woman ending an early pregnancy with uh, two pills. And then the state also can't enforce the ban on some surgical abortions. So in cases where a woman might be currently eligible, eligible to um, get a surgical abortion, but maybe by the time the ban has expired, she isn't anymore. Because in Oklahoma, you can't do that past 20 weeks, except in pretty extreme circumstances. Um, but if Oklahoma is anything like Texas, uh, the AG there issued a similar policy surrounding abortion the ban might be enforced again soon because uh, the AG there, even though a judge issued a similar order for Texas, you know, saying that they couldn't ban abortions, the AG pretty quickly appealed that decision and the appeal court agreed with them. So hmm. abortions are back on hold there. So we'll see what happens here. Yeah, it's definitely not the first time that Oklahoma has restricted abortions and a judge has said that that goes too far. Um, maybe not mm -hmm. in this kind of circumstance. And I have have we ever seen like kind of a definition of what like an essential medical procedure is? I mean, in my mind, I think of one mm -hmm. like a non-essential procedure would be one that you can wait and it and nothing, right. nothing will change. I mean, whether you agree, you know, you support abortion rights or not. I mean, this would seem in many cases that this would be something that you can't necessarily wait to do. Right. Right. Exactly. And that was one of the main arguments the abortion providers had. And the judge agreed with that, you know, because 
especially with restrictions surrounding abortion, you really can't wait to get the procedure done or else you won't be able to ever get it done because you'll miss that time frame where it's, you know, legally allowed. Yeah. Have you seen any definitions of what an essential medical procedure is or are we just been using that term? Question. I think I, I, I don't want to say we've been using that term, but I, I will say that the governor's order didn't really come with a detailed list or anything like that. Um, so, you know, obviously the state doesn't think abortions are essential unless, you know, a woman's life might be at risk. But as far as essential procedures go, I think it's kind of, you know, people might interpret it a little differently across the board. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be the first order from the governor's office that has had some ambiguity with it. Um, right. As we've seen on some things like that. But, uh, OK, well, we know you'll be continuing to follow that. And just finally, yeah. uh, we're I mean, we're talking on Monday. This is Tuesday's episode, so we'll be a little bit mm -hmm. into the week when it comes out. But uh, what's what are you watching for this week? I mean, what do you feel like maybe some of the important storylines that we see this week? Yeah, so I'm you know going to continue watching as those negative numbers keep coming uh, to the health department because I think it's so important. It goes hand in hand with also watching the state's modeling, which we still really haven't heard yeah. much more about since. Uh, I think last week, which is something I really want to fall on, because if the governor's office, you know, the state thinks we will see, the state will see a peak in late April, then uh, I'm curious to see those numbers, you know, what we're relying on. And then I just, you know, nursing homes. So yeah. a lot of different issues in different areas. <laughs> yeah. So for the, on the modeling real quick, I mean, that was mm -hmm. something about a week ago I felt like we thought we were going to see pretty soon. I mean, just kind of the, yeah. what we were hearing from the governor's office. Right. I did, too. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm planning on reaching out again about that tomorrow. And I know a lot of people, readers, have been asking me about it. You know, what's the state's modeling showing? How was the state preparing? What should we expect? So, you know, I'm, I'm curious, too, and I'm sure a lot of people have those questions. So that's something I'm going to be looking very closely at. Yeah. You know, another thing I, I want to mention um, that's also at readfrontier.org is our editor, Dylan Goforth, had, had written a story about a 22-year-old from Tulsa um, that uh, had died because of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And the Department of Health today in its report said that it had its first death in the 18 to 35 year old range from Oklahoma County. So mm -hmm. putting two and two together, it would seem like we've had now two deaths in that, that younger age range. Um, I think that'll be an important trend to watch and see if we start to see an increase in death because so far we've seen the, the vast majority of, of deaths have been over the age of 65 and, and the few that have been under have had some kind of underlying health issue. Right, exactly. And, you know, we obviously don't know a lot about, you know, these, as far as their health goes, we don't know a lot about these two um, men who died. But, you know, I, I'm wondering if, as our death toll does go up, if we're going to start seeing those younger uh, people in there, because, you know, we're at 51 now. And most of the deaths, obviously, are over 65. But, you know, as that number grows, it's only makes sense that some of those younger people would start showing up too. Yeah. And we haven't really, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about how this is an interesting 
a crisis because we aren't getting a lot of like firsthand pictures of what's going on. A mm-hmm. lot of the, the real battle is handling is being ha- held in medical facilities where we don't like have a lot of good video and photos for obvious reasons. You know, I feel like we haven't heard these specific stories as much either. And that may yeah. be because, you know, the media is tracking the evolving data every day. And also because we just, you know, you know, family members haven't necessarily been promoting this, but uh, the mm-hmm. story from Dylan on there, just talking about this young man with a with a wife and a newborn. I mean, it's it just it's mm. gut wrenching to think about this. Yeah, and it's heartbreaking. And, and that's the reality. And you know, we report these deaths as a, as a number, but there's there's stories behind each each of these numbers, and it's just a, uh, you know, it's it's what this is really all about. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like you were saying, stories like that are so important, just because you know we can put out numbers all day long, but it doesn't really tell the story of the toll that this is happening on our communities, you know, and on our country. And it's crazy to think that, you know, just March 20th, we only had one death and, you know, a few weeks later up to 51. So I just think it's so important to keep looking at that human aspect. Yeah. And on this one, I mean, we don't know all the details specifically, but this was a quick trip employee and you just wonder, you know, you're, he's, he's working a, you know, it's an essential job, right? I mean, we don't always think about mm-hmm. it, but a gas station, I mean, it isn't, it is essential for a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, you just hate the idea of, you know, a, a worker who contracted it just doing his job. I don't, we don't know that for sure, but I mean, that's, it's also a reminder that there still are people who are working in jobs where they're coming in contact with members of the public. And it's just, you know, it's, you know, not everyone has the luxury of, uh, you know, of staying at home. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it is an uncomfortable feeling because, you know, my dad, he works at a hardware store. My mom works at a tag agency. And, you know, I actually have a little brother who works at Quick Trip here mm-hmm. in Tulsa. So it's, you know, they're all considered essential employees. So it is unsettling seeing stories like that, you know, that it just makes it very real. And when you have family working in those positions, it kind of it kind of hits home. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, if, if you can stay home, stay home, uh, you know, do as much yeah. as you can to protect uh, not just the public, but yourself and your family. So, well, hey, Cassie, thanks so much for your time. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. And uh, yeah, hey, you too. I did catch you on another podcast. You keep doing all these other podcasts, Cassie. I don't know. I know. These time. This was, <laughs> I uh, love podcasts. Put, put in a plug in for this one. It was the, the Mental Health Association. Yeah. So the Mental Health Association, uh, they're doing a daily podcast on COVID-19 as well. So, you know, a lot of their episodes focus on mental health and people in the mental health field, first responders, and they have some really interesting interviews on there. But yeah. uh, today we actually, I talked with um, Matt Gleason is the one who hosts their podcast over there. I talked with him on Friday just about, you know, what it's like being a journalist right now and kind of about how, you know, mental health and how I'm handling that on my own. So it was, just, it was kind of a different angle than, you know, what I'm used to talking about, just talking about myself. So it was it was an interesting experience. I had a good time. Yeah, well, great. Well, it was a good listen. I encourage our listeners, after you're done listening to this, go go find that and, uh, and give that a listen as well. So, well, hey, Cassie, uh, good to talk to you. And I guess I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Yeah, you too. Take care. That's going to do it for today's episode. You can find complete COVID-19 coverage at readfrontier.org. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy. I'll be back with you on Wednesday.